You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Welcome to the Living Presence Podcast for Sunday, January 20th. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry, an emergent ministry of the United Church of Canada in East Gwillimbury. On today's show, we'll be hearing about Jesus saving the party of the century, and about how even God needs to listen to his mama. We'll hear about the moving from scarcity to abundance, and how frightening that can be. But first, I want to tell you a story. A story that may be upsetting to some people. It has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, so feel free to skip ahead five minutes. So much has been happening lately here at the borough which is the base of the Living Presence operation, and my house. Our programming has started up again after a lull over Christmas, our baby-toddler caregiver drop-in, yoga, Harry Potter, rock liturgies. On February 10th, we'll be exploring and singing along to the music of Leonard Cohen, set against the words of Khalil Gibran at Ravenshoe United Church. We've got our regular potluck meal happening next week. And then the regular day-to-day of neighborhood kids coming through the house. Just so many people. It's a busy place, and sometimes it feels like our house is always busy. So, I like to walk around the subdivision. It's quiet, And there's a stretch of road that's been paved where they haven't yet built any houses. That's where I like to go. More quiet. It feels like I can just be by myself there for a little while. So a few days ago, I was returning home from one of those walks when I was startled by a woman on our front steps, frantic and sobbing. Long story made short, She had met a guy, and they were going back to his place. But then she started to get a bad feeling and asked him to take her back to her car. He refused and ultimately ordered this woman to get out of his vehicle and left her in the middle of our subdivision with no idea where she was on one of the coldest nights of the year. And as she told me this, I became angry. I was so angry. I wanted to ask which house was his so that I could knock on his door and just say, I know what you did, and I happen to think that you need some lessons on how to be a decent human. I imagined doing this with a whole lot of swearing. I was seething. I mean, who does that? How does one get to the point where they have so little concern for another person that they just put them out in the cold 
because they refuse to share their body. Where the hell does that entitlement come from? And then I thought about the times that I've been groped on the subway, times my friends have been set up so that it's so difficult for them to be able to say no. The bank of experiences shared that are just so much worse. And here was just another coin to throw in the jar. So yeah, I was sad and angry and outraged. I didn't ask for the guy's address. I didn't rant. I just drove her home because that's all she wanted. I just want to go home. Fair enough. The ranting and the raging could wait. So often, I move to the anger. I go to the outrage, the righteous indignation. Because I've seen enough of this shit. But there's plenty of time for all of that. And in the moment that response was misguided, that's not what this woman needed. I just want to go home. So that's what we did. As I was driving, a song that I hadn't thought about in years popped into my head, and I share it with you now. This is... I will not sing a hateful song by the Constantines. And you can find the Constantines online by going to our show notes at livingpresenceministry.org.
Born to proud Self-conscious people Living free Of consequence Speak strange words louder Than a witness And damn the dead In self-defense I was also born and raised Hi, this is Reverend Alexa Gilmore in Toronto, Ontario, walking the dog after a beautiful snowfall and reading from John 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus said to them, They have no more wine. Woman, Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for the ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That was Alexa Gilmore in Toronto, reading the story of the wedding in Cana from the Gospel of John. Now this is one of the most memed stories of Jesus throughout popular culture. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to turn water into wine, right? This is a highly practical skill, and would secure one spot at every major social event in town. Skipping the lines at the clubs, the VIP lounge, this is certainly not a life that I've ever lived. So here's a teensy little bit of background on this wedding scene. We've been plunked at the end of a three-day introduction to Jesus's ministry. And here's a hint. Anytime you hear something like, on the third day, It's kind of code for pay attention. 
we start with Jesus' baptism and John the Baptist. Then, unlike the other Gospels, John, as in the Gospel, not the guy doing the baptizing, describes Peter and Andrew joining Jesus as his disciples, leaving John the Baptizer behind. Jesus collects two more recruits with Philip and Nathaniel on day two, and then on day three, Jesus, his disciples, and his mother, who is never actually named in this gospel, are at a wedding banquet where the guests are drinking freely. They're drinking so freely that the wine has run out. Now the bridegroom would not have ever been able to live such a thing down for the rest of his life. If the wine had run out, he would have heard about it at every community gathering, every celebration, until the end of time. So Jesus' mother comes over and tells him the wine is gone. She doesn't ask him to do anything. She merely informs him that the good times are about to end. And Jesus responds ambivalently. This is not my problem. This is not my time. But Jesus' mother knows that Jesus can fix things and tells the servants, the servants, not the head of the staff, to do what Jesus says. They bring the jars and the water, and Jesus does his thing. The party goes on, and the bridegroom gets the credit. This is Jesus' first act of public ministry. There are a few things I really love here. One, you can be the word made flesh, but you still got to listen to your mama. When they're older, I'm going to remind my sons about this one. Because when the wine gives out, Jesus' mother goes to him and tells him that there is no more wine. Jesus may respond, what business is this of mine? But you know what? He still does it. He still does what his mother has asked of him. She tells the servants to do whatever he tells them. And we don't hear how Jesus comes to change his mind. If he does it begrudgingly or what but he does it. Even God has to listen to the mama. But I identify with this mama in that moment where she's simply trusting that Jesus is going to make the, and I'm using the quotey fingers here, right decision. How often have I just needed to sit and trust that my kids were going to make the right choice? Okay, so that was one. Now two. It's the servants and not the head of house and not the hosts who are first privy to the miracle of what has happened. And three. Stone jars. They are usually used for ritual purification, not facilitating drinking freely. But they are filled to produce an absolutely exorbitant amount of wine. We're talking 120 to 130 gallons of wine here. This is so much more than enough as to be almost comical. 
So these are the three of my favorite points. And yet, I have been stumped all week about what to say about this passage, about what to share about this very famous story. I've been mopey. It's been a mopey week. What am I going to say? What can I talk about? So last night, I gave up, at least for a while. I gave up and decided to read the paper. And it turns out I'd been missing a lot of action this week. The ongoing anti-pipeline demonstrations and protests in British Columbia, Caitlin Ohashi's absolutely incredible 10.0 floor routine, a terrorist attack in Kenya, and funding announcements from the Ontario government. This week, the government of Ontario has rolled back tuition grants previously initiated. This is simply one more of the many cuts they have made to programs benefiting lower-income citizens. The cancellation of the Guaranteed Income Project and cutting what was to be a 3% increase to social assistance payments to only a 1.5% increase. There are also cuts to services benefiting Francophone communities. The list goes on and on. And yet, despite cutting funding to social assistance, MPPs have voted to increase their out-of-town housing allowance by 20%. 1.5% was good enough for the poor, but not for them. And we see the cuts to services in the United States under the current administration, the furlough of federal employees, proposed cuts to environmental agencies, education, housing. But they still want money to build a wall for a crisis that every legitimate study says is non-existent. So for what purpose? There are so many other examples, but they're frustrating and depressing, and so I took a break from reading and went back to being frustrated about what to say in this episode. And then I started to get jealous about the wine. I mentioned before that the amount of wine being named here is simply so excessive to the need that it is almost comical. In this story, Jesus provides not only enough, but so much more than enough. It is so much that not only will the hosts have what they need to entertain their guests, they don't even need to worry about whether there is enough and can go on and enjoy their time with their friends and family. And Jesus didn't just supply more wine. He provided the best wine. Custom would dictate that he could have just supplied the cheap stuff. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus provides not the scraps, not the leftovers, but the best. And so I wonder, where are the unexpected places where such abundance of resources would be welcome? Where are they needed? And what would it look like if, here's a crazy thought, 
People who rely on social assistance in Ontario had an income that was sufficient enough that they didn't have to worry about whether it was going to run out. What would they be freed up to do? What would that abundance mean? What if the U.S., instead of a wall, decided to fund their schools so abundantly that teachers never had to worry about how they would be able to pay for school supplies and just teach? Why would Jesus give so abundantly? The disciples don't really need much convincing. Peter and Andrew were there when he was baptized. They saw it. The bridegroom gets the credit in this story, so it doesn't seem so much that it's for the wedding guests for them to believe. God's abundance seems completely radical compared to the attitude of scarcity so prevalent throughout society. And this often includes churches, too. We're taught that we must conserve rather than give. Or we may give, but sometimes we're just giving the leftovers, the cast-offs, like our donations to the thrift shops in the Salvation Army. Or our time. Way too often, my kids are getting my leftover exhausted time. And it's limited. After work and school, and running around. But they really deserve me at my best. They deserve my best wine and an abundance of it. So what would it look like if we were able to give so abundantly? What would it look like if we could receive so abundantly? What would it look like if we expected people to be looked after with such abundance that they never had to worry about how they were going to go on ever again? God's abundance seems radical. It is radical. But I can't help but wonder what this radical abundance could look like if we gave it a shot. Every heart's got a song to sing But few can hear it And every soul wants to dance away But not many can see got a feeling and so we should respect them so I'ma sing my song and my heart will dance along and I'll join hands with my neighbors to try and share this love and make 
the world better I don't care where you're from or what's your color Shouldn't matter what you believe in or who's your lover We're all equal, God's creations And we are just one human nation Ooh, take my hand Let's unite the hearts of every human on this land They tear me sticks and stones will break my bones What hurt my soul Every heart deserves to save their soul And if we're brought into this world Then we should have the freedom To spread our wings and fly along So sing your song, let your heart dance along. Turn and join hands with your neighbors. Let's try and share this love and make the world better. I don't care where you're from or what your color. It shouldn't matter what you believe in or who's your lover or how he God's creations and we are just one human That was Ava Wilde and her song, Every Heart, from her 2016 album, Bear. You can find Ava and her music online at www.avawildmusic.com. Rafka, the Bride of Cana, from Jesus the Son of Man, by Khalil Gibran. This happened before he was known to the people. I was in my mother's garden tending the rose bushes when he stopped at our gate. And he said, I am thirsty. Will you give me water from your well? And I ran and brought the silver cup and filled it with water, and I poured into it a few drops from the jasmine vial. And he drank deep and was pleased. 
Then he looked into my eyes and said, My blessing shall be upon you. When he said that, I felt as it were a gust of wind rushing through my body. And I was no longer shy, and I said, Sir, I am betrothed to a man of Cana in Galilee, and I shall be married on the fourth day of the coming week. Will you not come to my wedding and grace my marriage with your presence? And he answered, I will come, my child. Mind you, he said, my child, yet he was but a youth and I was nearly twenty. And then he walked on down the road. And I stood at the gate of our garden until my mother called me into the house. On the fourth day of the following week, I was taken to the house of my bridegroom and given in marriage. And Jesus came, and with him his mother and his brother James. And they sat around the wedding board with our guest, whilst my maiden comrades sang the wedding songs of Solomon the king. And Jesus ate our food and drank our wine and smiled upon me and upon the others. And he heeded all the songs of the lover bringing his beloved into his tent, and of the young vineyard keeper who loved the daughter of the Lord of the vineyard and led her to his mother's house, and of the prince who met the beggar maiden and bore her to him his realm and crowned her with the crown of his father's. And it seemed as if he were listening to yet other songs also which I could not hear. At sundown, the father of my bridegroom came to the mother of Jesus and whispered, saying, We have no more wine for our guests, and the day is not yet over. And Jesus heard the whispering, and he said, The cupbearer knows that there is still more wine. And so it was indeed. And as long as the guests remained, there was fine wine for all who would drink. Presently, Jesus began to speak with us. He spoke of the wonders of the earth and heaven, of sky flowers that bloom when night is upon the earth, and of earth flowers that blossom when the day hides the stars. And he told us stories and parables, and his voice enchanted us so that we gazed upon him as if seeing visions, and we forgot the cup and the plate. And as I listened to him, it seemed as if I were in a land distant and unknown. After a while, one of the guests said to the father of my bridegroom, You have kept the best wine until the end of the feast. Other hosts do not so. And all believed that Jesus had wrought a miracle that they should have more wine and better at the end of the wedding feast than at the beginning. I too thought that Jesus had poured the wine, but I was not astonished. For in his voice, I had already listened to miracles. 
and afterwards indeed his voice remained close to my heart, even until I had been delivered of my firstborn child. And now even to this day in our village, and in the villages nearby, the word of our guest is still remembered, and they say, the spirit of Jesus of Nazareth is the best and the oldest one. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with some more stories, some more music, some more poetry. So until then, stay warm, stay snuggled with the people you love. Dare to live with abundance. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.